Hi, Michaela. Hello, Steve. Well, we're recording this on the autumn equinox, so I thought it would be very interesting to talk a bit about autumn. So when I say autumn to you, what comes to your mind? Sweaters, or as they say where you come from, jumpers. <laughs> but uh, yes, that too. But um, I think, you know, any change in season, and particularly, I think, from the summer to the fall, it's kind of an interesting moment to look at, um, you know, practices and, and also procedures and habits and how we orient in time and space and daylight and, you know, in the seasons and in our body. Because uh, with the equinox, of course, right, the equinox is kind of such an interesting moment in time because everywhere on earth uh day and light are the same length right and that that only happens twice a year um <laughs> so uh with that said uh it, it's it's an interesting moment in time because of the way the light goes you know the, the way the light shines and you can tell that different quality of the light and of course, it also means in the Northern hemisphere that the days are getting shorter and shorter and shorter till the solstice and the body kind of wants to go into that period. But of course, for most of us, and I heard this over the weekend when we were teaching, um, this is the busiest season. So while the body should somewhat slow down and transition into winter, if it's you know the, the fall equinox, um, the the schedule for most people after the summer actually gets more hectic than you know than it should for the natural rhythms of the body. So when you ask me fall or autumn, I think about transitions and uh, different clothing and leaves falling and uh, harvest time and the abundance of that and uh, yeah. Well, I know you're very keen on archetypes and symbolism and so on and so one of the symbols when i think of autumn that comes to mind is the harvest so i'm wondering when you turn your sort of archetype symbol brain on or turn that mindset on to the harvest what sort of ideas come come to you well when i turn that part of the brain on right there is the there's a whole symbolism of having essentially grown and um and watered and you know fertilized and everything uh ideas and fruit and whatever uh over the summer and then at this particular moment in time there's kind of a good moment to look at uh what is actually what what came to fruition right what is actually happened over the last over the summer period that can be harvested but also what didn't happen and what you know what would be done differently and i've spent the last uh, week it's finally cooled down some here in california i've spent the last week uh, clearing out my vegetable beds and you know ripping out the summer uh, fruit and the summer vegetables that are you know done and that have been harvested and so in any gardener's uh you know mind you kind of look at what grew what didn't grow what did really well what didn't do well funny enough for both me and some friends here who also garden in this area we didn't get tomatoes this year 
right? Or barely any tomatoes. So you kind of look at what, what actually did really well, in my case, squashes, and then what didn't do well, uh, tomatoes. And then that, um, you know, that has a whole series of, of preparations then for the next planting. So for instance, the bed where the tomatoes were needs to be uh, freshly amended and dug through and uh, things added so that in the next growth cycle, uh, the, the soil is better. Uh, and I also need to look at was there pests or things like that. And the same, of course, applies to our, um, you know, our uh, fruits and fruits and vegetables of the mind, meaning our plans and our practices and the things that we do uh, both business and personal, what worked, what didn't work, what are we harvesting, uh, what's coming to an end, and then what starts from here or what needs to be amended and or put to bed till, you know, the next growth season. Yeah, very interesting. There's uh, something else that often comes to my mind with this season in terms of notable events is Halloween, Halloween, or Samhain as they call it. Uh, some people call it that. Uh, I think we'll do a special episode on Halloween or Samhain when it uh, is coming around. And perhaps in that episode, do some sort of uh, rituals or practices or offer some uh, guided uh, follow along kind of explorations. I think that would be quite interesting indeed, as a special Samhain Halloween uh, edition. But uh, in, in advance of that, do you orient much towards Samhain? Do you have much of a sense of that? Um, of that festival and the veils are thin, etc. And do you do you go for that? I do actually. It's probably one of my more favorite, um, you know, moments of uh, in ritual engagement of the year for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, in the more traditional Halloween sense, right? Uh, there is of course pumpkins and things of that nature, and I love pumpkins and all things orange I, I don't know why but I do and so to me that whole season I grow my own pumpkins I buy pumpkins um, you know there's a whole aesthetic there that I love but before long before I came to the states where Halloween is a thing um, in the part of Austria where I grew up um, that particular time of the year is considered very special and as a matter of fact um on Saturday in the 12 facets of the feminine, we were actually working with, uh, you know, it's the it's the season of the very potent feminine archetypes. And we were actually working with a protector archetype, a wrathful protector archetype. And um, I was uh, telling, you know, within that lecture that uh, traditionally that was a season and that particular, you know, um, day, was um, considered where the veil was the thinnest. And hence, you could really communicate with the ancestors and your lineage and things like that. But also, uh, it was dangerous because you could go beyond the veil, so to speak, to meet your ancestors or communicate. But uh, not so benevolent forces could come the other way as well. And so the tradition of dressing up in something incredibly scary, right? And wearing, uh, you know, in the olden days, it was like you would have like a head of some animal on and, and paint your face and claws and fangs and all those kind of things. 
uh, were considered uh, necessary to ward off anything coming through the veils to hurt us. I think that's, you know, for me, that has always held like a real fascination that being able to traverse the veils, uh, honing one's sensitivity towards uh, the fluctuations in perception, but also that um, aspect of the scaring off things or or um, dressing up in a way that sends the warning of the protector is kind of it's an interesting thing and then of course in the way I was taught within the teachings of my lineage uh, that particular whole thread around the thinning of the veils and the the, the wrathful protectress um, you know ties into uh, practices on the charnel grounds which then you know ties back into Halloween where there's the cemetery and all of that so it's it's kind of nice to see how these things weave together as a means of also engaging with what scares us or what we're fearful of and death you know and and all things decay and death and boneyards and graveyards is typically an area where we don't put a lot of attention, but of course, something that will happen to all of us. And so that entire period, which is kind of also when we talk about autumn to winter, right? It's the dying off, it's the decaying, it's the um, the, the the whittling away or things of that nature that then leads to death in the winter. And then of course the resurgence afterwards. So um, I've always been really fascinated with that entire uh, you know, line of inquiry. Do you change your behavior in this season at all to reflect these themes? Yeah, I do for a, a number of reasons. Uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, uh, unfortunately, when the body really wants to kind of prepare for hibernation, right? And when there is a kind of slowing down in a certain way, uh, Typically, that's also when it gets really busy um, for me and everyone around me, it seems. So I'm trying to, as, as I always do, um, stay with the biorhythms, right? Stay with the rhythms of my body and stay with the, within the, the, the practice of keeping my circadian rhythms stable and, and uh, in, you know, in a way that it really supports the body. Because in the context of, you know, embodiment, embodiment practices, what can we do for optimal functioning? Uh, of course, as the, you know, as the days go shorter, things have to change because you don't get as much sunlight. Then, of course, there's the whole thing with daylight savings, which is not yet upon us, you know, that the shift in that time. But so it takes a little bit more um, attention and planning on getting that first sunlight in the morning because it's later. And my schedule, of course, is such that I get up at a certain time. And in the summer, I can get up at a certain time and it's already pretty light. And so I start my day with like a tea ritual and you know, I do some practices in the morning with the bright sun, you know, because my bedroom faces the sunrise. And so then I'm set up for the day and then you know, I can do whatever I need to do. So in the in the fall, leading up to the winter, I have to kind of slightly redo my schedule so that I can still get the sun exposure, which happens later. 
So that happens around this time where it's really noticeable, where I just, uh, you know, schedule myself differently. I've also noticed that the moment it got cooler here, uh, my uh, food, the, the things I wanted to eat changed really quickly, very dramatically. I suddenly wanted root vegetables and uh, butternut squashes and you know like roasted things and much more grounding food suddenly uh, and that just happened just as the kind of the season shifted and and the temperature cooled and so I try and kind of go with that and give my body a bit more of the seasonal foods that are you know natural for the season um, as well so that even though my um, work schedule might not slow down at least my body's rhythms can go with what comes with the season mm. maybe you could say something about that early morning light exposure and why that's an important part of your routine you really prioritize that yeah I've been really prioritizing that because of course uh, we're still doing zoom teaching and that for me uh, you know in the states happens early in the morning um, and so uh, I noticed that that particular, you know, requirement of needing uh, the ring light on me way, way earlier than uh, I would usually get up had a really negative effect on my health and general well-being. So I researched this in fine detail and have a whole protocol down now on um, how to keep my body in the proper rhythm. And it really actually meant having to change my, the way I kind of do my life in the sense that uh, while we're still doing, you know, the, the, the online teaching, I have to go to bed way earlier. And I'm also making sure that I don't get a lot of light, blue light or any light in the evening. But then I make sure that first thing in the morning, I get bright sunlight and enough of it so that it starts my entire you know circadian rhythm towards the the sleep time and that's been something that's been really really good and i feel such a big difference in well-being with that um you know with that routine but it does require a bit of uh planning and really making sure that i don't um you know miss that first two hours of the day with some sunlight. I've also stopped uh, drinking tea first thing in the morning. Uh, I drink uh, two, you know, huge things of water uh, for the first hour or so, and then drink tea also in an attempt to kind of really smooth out those rhythms and get the cortisol to you know, happen at the proper moments and not at the moments it shouldn't happen. So there's a lot of really great uh, research out. And um, it was really uh, important to dial that in. And I'm sleeping way, way, way better and longer and uh, feel so much more, you know, energized throughout the day. Yeah, you've, we've, I think, said before in this podcast that that's become a very important part of your routine, especially given that you, you're essentially working shifts sometimes when you're teaching in these international time zones, you know, you're getting up at all times, but actually in general, even when you're not doing that over the summer, we haven't been doing that quite as much. You've still kept to that and found it to be very beneficial. You know, something else that I think uh, affects people a bit or can affect people a bit around this time of year, certainly going towards the winter, is the effect of the season on the mood. 
And some people have linked that or suggested that that has something to do with the shorter days, etc. You know, increasing um, depression uh, of various kinds. What do you think of that? And do you have any advice or anything you you particularly do to sort of buttress your mood as you come into this this season, heading towards the winter? Well, I mean, now there's all these studies out on and you know where essentially daylight or light exposure is directly linked to mood. And I think we've known that for a while because I remember I lived in Hamburg once and it, there was just never any sun and it was, uh, I don't tend towards depression, but I was, you know, I could barely get out of bed in the morning. It was just so oppressive after like six months of not having seen the sun. And even back then they had these little light things that you could buy where you're supposed to sit in front of that bright light uh, you know, to combat what they back then called, I think, seasonal affective disorder. I think it's still called that sad, um, S-A-D. <laughs> so uh, in, in, in that research now that I read, and, you know, there's this great uh, podcast out there, which I guess we can link to. Um, and, uh, um, you know, there's, there's a strong suggestion that the more sunlight you get early on in the day, the better the mood and the regulation is. But of course, not everybody has sunlight where you live now. It's going to get somewhat gloomy, right? Uh, and also quite dark because you're a lot further north than I'm at, for instance. So uh, in absence of the sunlight, you're supposed to get something like a ring light, right? I'm looking at my ring light. Um, like a ring light and have that on and the key is to have it a bit up so not directly in front but a bit up and that bit up simulates that morning sunlight and you're supposed to have a certain amount of lux which you can easily produce with a ring light uh, from what I gather but there's also these little pads you can buy um, that you, you can put somewhere so that you get that light in the first two hours upon rising. And then, of course, uh, when we talk about stuff that's not artificial and stuff that's, you know, good in the context of what, you know, embodiment and ritual and self-care and practice, um, I think that being outside more uh, when it gets darker is really, really important and really useful. And of course, you don't want to go out when it's colder or wetter or, you know, a bit gloomy, but it's exactly then that you should really be out and um, ideally also, you know, get enough light on your skin. You produce enough vitamin D, which also is connected to mood and, you know, all of those kind of things. So, um, while I'm not an expert, you know, or a health, uh, health expert, those are the things that I do and that I feel make a huge difference for me and the people I've turned on to it over the, you know, couple of years that I've been playing around with that. And there's just something really good about, um, you know, aside from the, the, the science of the sun exposure, there's something really nice about starting the day with a bit of nature and a little bit of sunlight and a little bit of fresh air on your skin and on your body. And, uh, you know, I think the mood, um, the mood effects, the positive mood effects, just from being in nature alone is worth exploring 
a bit more outside activity than usual. When I grew up in the Shetland Islands, which is quite far north, it would be in the winter dark when I went to school, whatever that time was, half seven, eight, something. And then dark when I would come home again, when I'd leave the school, I'd walk in in the dark and walk out in the dark, uh, three, half past three o'clock or whenever it was that we'd finish school. So a lot of people on that island would use light boxes, mm -hmm. these little uh, light boxes, which are supposed to have the same sort of lux that you're talking about. It seems important if you're using the outside light that you've mentioned before, at least in your own routine, uh, that you don't, it's not a, a, through a window is not enough. You can't just sort of look out the window. It's, it's, you emphasized in the past, I think to me, direct is the way to go, right? Yeah, supposedly most of those windows nowadays have all kinds of filters, UV filters and stuff. So you get incomplete bandwidths of light, which doesn't help because it all has to do with certain receptors in the, in the retina, those receptors uh, jumpstart actually the production of uh, melatonin. So even though you are doing the morning waking up thing, you are also setting your clock so that melatonin gets, um, you know, uh, emitted at the right time at night so you can sleep well. And so, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. You're supposed to get it directly and not through a window uh, because it takes too long. You can like do five or 10 minutes if you're in somewhere in California. So, or, you know, uh, or you have to do 20 minutes if it's cloudy or things like that, but that's still totally doable. And of course, when you have one of those ring lights, which is the second best thing or the light box, you have to do longer. I know some people uh, who have a light box kind of on their desk for most of the day. But then you're supposed to wind it down in the evening. So you, you're not supposed to get you know, light in the evening, a lot of light in the evening. And I think that's been really quite interesting too, um, where, I'm I'm just having way 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 less lights on in the house, and I really make a point of not looking at my phone or my computer after a certain amount of t time, you know, up and about. I just stop for the last hour before I go to bed and don't look at a screen or you know or, or read a Kindle, but I read an actual book, um, and uh, you know that's been really nice. And I've gone so far because, of course, we had some pretty extreme schedule. Like you said, it was like shift work. Um, I have a red light in my nightstand lamp so that I don't get, you know, that bright light, even if I have to get up in the middle of the night, which is fun because it also looks really nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Well, you mentioned 12 facets earlier, and I know that season four, the, the, the final quarter of 12 facets is uh, about to close for registrations now, as we're coming into the last quarter of the year. Uh, maybe you could say a little something about the 12 facets program. I know it's, it's proved enormously popular and what, what it is we're doing in that program and in particular, what we're going to be looking at in the fourth quarter. And can people join now and even at this late stage? Yeah, people can join. The whole idea in this last uh, quarter we have three meetings, so it's once a, once a month for five hours. And in that session, and as always, it's in two streams, so people from all over the world can join in their proper time zones. 
And in each of those days, we'll explore one archetype and we'll explore both the meaning of the archetype, how it applies to us. Then we do embodiment practices. Um, then there's guided uh, explorations. There's also connection with the other participants. We do these talk processes. There's a Q&A where people can uh, ask their specific questions and I work with them directly. And it's great fun. And this particular season is called The Beautiful Tragedies. And what are the archetypes you're going to be doing this season? Yeah, so in this particular season, we are looking at uh, the eternal child, the handless maiden, and the bone woman. So those are the three archetypes we're working with. And in general, with these archetypes, we're looking at how they apply to each person individually. So it's a very, very tailored and personalized approach to the archetypes so that each participant can really find themselves in that story or that archetype and uh, use it in their lives. Yeah, great. It's prone to be a very rich and uh, I think compelling exploration for those that have been attending that. It's, it's been really a very, a very interesting program and there's still time to get involved in season four if you want to join. Uh, there, there is still time to sign up to that. So the way to do that, of course, is to go to www.michaelabohm.com. And of course, there'll be a link below in the description too. And look for the 12 Facets Season 4. That's how to sign up. So is there anything else uh, as we bring this to a close, Michaela, that you want to say about autumn or uh, any, any related themes? Well, I mean, there's so much more that we could talk about. But I think the important piece is to keep in mind that the needs of the body and the rhythms are changing. And um, in order to kind of keep that connection with the body and keep that connection with the rhythms of the body, uh, it's nice to look at what practices can be uh, you know, added or taken away and um, how would you shift things so that your body is well as the season changes. Michaela, thank you very much. Thank you.